Welcome to the Creekside Community Church Podcast. If you don't yet follow Jesus, we want to provide you with a safe place to explore the Christian faith. If you are a Christian, we want to provide you with resources to help you grow in your faith and ultimately serve Jesus more effectively. For more information or to partner with us, visit our website at creekside.cc. Subscribe so that you don't miss any of our messages. We hope this content helps you take your next step with Jesus. Again in Luke chapter 9, starting at verse 18. And just so you know and are ready for it, we do have some, uh, at least one discussion question we'd love for you to actually, like, mute the video and discuss at home, and we'll discuss here. That's coming up in a bit, but just wanted to give you fair warning that it's not going to be just simple, just watch and look talk the whole time. Um, we'll do a little bit of interaction today for you watching at the Watch and Worship Together parties, and if you're watching with someone else, great, and if not, you can listen um, to our discussion as we engage these questions together. Um, But we're just going to jump right in and pick up the story. Uh, If you were here last week, we looked at the final clue uh, where uh, we talked about this idea that um, Luke has been dropping, the gospel writer Luke has been dropping clues all along that the most important question, the question he wants all of us to wrestle with and anyone who reads these words is, who is Jesus? Who is this guy who's doing all this stuff? And um, we said last week, and it's true that, uh, that, like, this is the text where we get the answer. Mm-hmm. Now, what's really interesting is we get the answer, and then Jesus abruptly tries to redefine the answer, and then the Luke switches focus to um, kind of some application for what does it mean to follow Jesus um, if he is the kind of Messiah that he says he is. So let's just look at this uh, together. Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 18. It says this, While Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? Now, again, this is, this is the question. Uh, people have been speculating. People have been asking. The disciples just went out and were preaching and um, going to different villages and preparing the way for Jesus. And people would have been asking them, mm-hmm. who is this guy? And they would have been hearing people's opinions. Um, but I find it interesting that this really key moment in Jesus' ministry, this confession that Peter's about to give of who Jesus is, was precipitated by prayer, that Jesus is praying. And I think it's like, shows that this is like a moment, um, like like this is a Holy Spirit-led moment, like God's providing this moment for the disciples. Like this is the right time for this um, confession to happen. So Jesus asked the disciples after he prays, he says, who do the crowds say that I am? And the disciples answered, "Uh, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, Still others, that one of the ancient prophets has come back. Now, keep this in mind, um, because we're going to look at a text in a little bit, uh, the transfiguration of Jesus. We're going to look at that today, where Moses and Elijah both appear with Jesus, and it's clear from what happens there that Jesus is not them, that he's greater than them. But again, this is the speculation. Is it maybe your Moses somehow come back, or Elijah, or John the Baptist, or another great prophet? But Jesus looks at them and I don't want to know anymore who the crowds think I might be. Who do you say that I am? In verse 20, Peter answered, God's Messiah. God's Messiah. Um, to understand this, we need to understand that word. 
uh, Messiah is actually not a translation, it's just a transliteration. What I mean by that is um, some words we just translate, right? He said, we don't just use the Greek word for he said, we actually translate that in English and we say he said. The word Messiah, though, is a transliteration. It's, the Hebrew word is Mashiach, so it sounds like Messiah. It doesn't really mean anything in English, it just is made to sound like the Hebrew word. So it's funny that we don't translate it because God's Messiah in the Old Testament, Hebrew, Messiah or Mashiach meant anointed one. And the idea is that in the Old Testament time period, when a new king was crowned, uh, that's what we do in our world. Kings get crowned. In their world, kings got anointed. Uh, A prophet would come pour oil over their head, and that would show that this is God's chosen king. Um, It was like the way you would crown a king in the ancient Hebrew world is by pouring oil over their head. And so when Peter says, you are God's anointed one, you are God's Messiah, that's what Messiah means, he's saying, you are God's king. And this goes all the way back to 2 Samuel 7 and these promises that David, King David, would eventually have an heir, a descendant, who would sit on his throne and be like the king of kings, the greatest king, who would bring restoration to the kingdom of Israel and fulfill all the promises that the prophets talked about. So Peter answered, you are God's Messiah. <coughs> but Jesus strictly warned and instructed them to tell this to no one. Don't tell anyone yet, we find out. Don't tell anyone yet. Um, Jesus said this, saying, it is necessary that the Son of Man, talking about himself, the Son of Man suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and scribes, be killed and be raised the third day. So this is interesting to me. We've been waiting, waiting for this answer. Finally it comes, you are the Messiah. And then immediately, Jesus almost doesn't even say yes. He says, I need to redefine this for you, right? You are God's king, and then it's like, okay, yes, but what kind of king? And Jesus makes it very clear, I'm going to be a suffering servant type of king. I'm going to be a king that's eventually crucified. I'm going to be killed, and on the third day, I'm going to rise again. So in your notes on the screen, you can see, um, this is the answer we've been waiting for all along, and everyone's been asking about Jesus is the king, yes, but then this abrupt redefinition. He's going to be a suffering servant kind of king. And like we've talked about a lot, no one was looking for this kind of king. Uh, Everyone is expecting a conquering king, not a suffering king. Um, Like a ruling, reigning, strong, powerful king, not a servant kind of king. And so... Jesus answers, he says yes, and then he abruptly redefines it. And then, very quickly, Jesus switches tracks again. So yes, I am king, let me redefine it, and then he switches tracks to, and you guys are my followers, if I'm going to be the kind of crucified king and lord, what does that mean for you, my followers? So Luke 9, 23 says this, "Uh, Then he said to them all, and again, it's talking about this group of disciples and apostles, right? He said to them all, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will save it. For what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself? So again, Jesus very quickly switches tracks from what kind of king he is to what kind of followers we're supposed to be, what kind of disciples we're supposed to be. And so here's the main idea for today, based off of both of these texts. Um, Following a crucified Lord means leading a cruciform life. 
if we're followers of Jesus, and he is not this conquering king, but this crucified king, and we want to follow him and become like him, that that means we will have to live a cross-shaped life, a cruciform life. Charles H. Spurgeon said this. He said, The cross is not just a symbol of our salvation, but a model for how we are to live. A cruciform-shaped life is marked by self-denial, obedience, and radical love. So uh, I want to talk about some aspects of this, because this is kind of the main point of today. All the texts we're going to look at just are driving this home and exploring different facets of it. And so uh, we're going to stay here just for a few moments and, and discuss this. Um, but first of all, the first thing to know, like, Jesus says, you're going to have to follow me even to death. You want to be my follower? And I just want to make clear that this life of surrender and obedience is not just a once and for all thing, but an everyday type thing. Like, look again what he says. He says, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily. So if you're a follower of Jesus, how often do you have to die to yourself? Every single day. Every single day. Um, and so, students, I wanted to actually talk to you, um, all of you who went to youth camp, um, for just a minute, because I think this is especially pertinent to you. Um, I think, like, saying yes to God and putting everything on the table and surrendering to Him is kind of, in some ways, easy at camp. Like, as easy as is is to say, I do, on your wedding day. But it's a little harder married couples will tell you in the day-to-day daily grind of life and the stress of life when the feelings aren't necessarily there all the time. And I think for you guys, um, it's really important to remember that following Jesus is not simply supposed to be inspired by how you feel at a certain point. Um, It's an everyday decision. Every day. Today, I'm still going to follow Jesus. Whether or not the feelings are there, uh, whether or not... um, He calls me to let go of something that's hard to let go on. It's an ongoing, everyday way we are called to live. So what does this mean on a practical level? Uh, I think it means that we are called every day to put everything on the table. This is the way it was explained to me, like this everything on the table kind of life. Uh, I remember early on when I came to Creekside, there was, um, I was only like a couple years in, so this is like 10, 12 years ago, something like that, but someone was like, hey, you know, do you think you're going to stay at Creekside? Because basically they had someone in the kids' ministry and they really wanted me to be their kids' youth pastor. That's what this question was coming from. They're like, are you going to be here still in three years, you know, when my kid's in the youth group? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> and they're like, well, like, do you have plans? I'm like, no, I mean, I plan to stay here. But I really was praying, and we try and pray and live in a way of like, this is our plan, God. We want to stay here, but whatever you want. And I really felt at the time, and I still feel, and I know Janelle's in the same place of, like, we'd love to stay here. That's our plan. But we also want to just prayerfully say, like, God, if you call us somewhere else, we'll go. If you tell us to sell our house, we'll sell it. If you tell us to stay here for 50 years, we'll stay. Um, Where every day everything is on the table. That's what this means, of denying yourself and taking up your cross daily. It's not necessarily that you have to sell your house and let go of everything, but you're willing to. Um, You live with those open hands like we were talking about with the kids. And I just, it's interesting because Jesus includes that line where he says, uh, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. It's almost like he's saying if you're holding on so tightly, um, life doesn't work well that way. But if you are willing to let go, 
because of me, you will save your life. This is actually the best way to live. And so the last thing I want to say is that um, the kind of life Jesus invites us to is actually a joy-filled life, which is ironic because he's talking about sacrifice and surrender, but it really is. Uh, I think that that authentic joy-filled life can only be found on the other side of surrender. And again, this is not just once for all. It is at the start of the Christian life, but it's also ongoing every day. Um, in fact, just yesterday, uh, Janelle and I were talking, and um, I was feeling this sense of obligation about some things we had to do or felt like we needed to do. And uh, I was tired, and there was a bunch of, like, Janelle just got back from camp the day before. Like, we wanted to spend time together and do some projects, but we also felt these obligations. And we weren't sure what to do. And I felt in my heart, like, this is what I want to do. Like, I had my plans and my hopes for the day. And I was kind of, like, doing this thing with them. It's like, this is what I want, this is what I want. (laughs) And then as Janelle and I were talking, and finally we were like, we should probably pray about what we should do. And it was only as I was praying about it that I felt like I was finally able to like be like, okay, God, I know this is what I want, but if you want us to do these other things, like I'm willing to. And it's so interesting because it wasn't until I did that and prayed through that that God was like, at least in this circumstance, was like, you're free, Luke. You can go about your plans. And so what's interesting, if you just like took a picture of my life or a video of my life, if... I could have lived yesterday and done the identical things from a different, very different place in my heart, right? I could have gone through my whole day doing my thing like this, but instead I did it like this, and it made um, a world of difference. And, and so the call for all of us is the same thing. Um, God doesn't always say, yes, you can have it back, or go ahead with your plan. Sometimes he said, no, this is what I want you to do. But he always calls us to live that way. And so... Um, we're going to do a discussion question now because I'd love to hear from you guys, not just me do all the talking. Uh, if you've ever had a time when God asked you to surrender something and things actually worked out for the better because you obeyed him. So we're going to discuss that here. I'd um, love for you to discuss that if you're at one of the watch and worship parties and just mute this video. So put you guys on the spot and Rick will tell us when we're out of time. Can you repeat the question? Yes, I can. <laughs> so, I mean, it's going back to my example. Of, like, I let go of this, and things worked out better because I did. So it's, have you ever had a time when God asks you to let go of something or surrender something, and you feel like life or that thing went way better because you chose to let go of doing things your way or holding on to things? Okay, I have something. Okay. And, uh, and it's ironic that this is one of my key verses for my decision. Um, so I was a believer for maybe two years before I surrendered. So I don't know when I was really considered saved. Because I believed, but Satan believes, right? So I kept things for myself. And finally, I you know realized that I needed to surrender and give God control of my life, which I remember purposefully doing, which I distinctly remember. And at the same time, I said, I give you my life, except my guitar. I want to have my own life with that. And I honestly remember that, too. I mean, it was right there tied together. Yes, I surrender to you for God things, you know, but I want to keep my guitar. And 
So, and I'm kind of a fanatic now about, um, I don't do not Christian music. Just, I, you know, I'll practice some riffs or something just for fun and exercise. But um, I've actually given and surrendered guitar solely to God, too. And each one of my guitars, when I got one, was, was dedicated. You know, it's like, here's another one. Here's another one that's not mine. Here's something else that's yours, God. So that was sort of a, a thing, too, where I, because, and, and it happened. I became a Christian as an early teenager, and it was just as I was starting to get what I thought was control of my own life. I was getting, growing into life and becoming my own person. I didn't want to give that away yet. I wanted, I, uh, I got time, you know, like in reference to a previous sermon, uh, just let me be deaf for a while. <laughs> I don't care for now. I'll get a co cochlear later, right? Yeah. And um, I mean, that was a, a distinctive thing that I can remember how selfish I, I was. Mm. Uh, Thanks for sharing, Kurt. <clears throat> yeah, I think one of, one of my original ones was when I was graduating college and I got offered a job to be a youth pastor in, gosh, I remember what time it was like Golden or somewhere near there. And um, I was like offered the job kind of in a really weird way in that I went to go check out the church and they announced that I was going to be the new youth pastor before they had offered me the job. Um, and then, in a Sunday morning service. Right? In a Sunday morning service. At a Sunday morning service, they were like, he's going to be our new youth pastor. And I was like, I have not been offered or accepted this position. And I like was driving home that day and I was like, that was like, that's weird. And I had some other weird feelings. And I remember I actually went um, home uh, to, I was living with Janelle's parents. And I, I talked to Janelle's mom about it. And Janelle's mom had experienced having a kid and a son-in-law who had graduated in 2008 when like people couldn't find jobs. And she was, I was like, I just had this weird feeling about this. And she was like, you'd be an idiot not to take it. <laughs> like, you're graduating college, take the job. And then I talked to Janelle's dad, and, and, she, and he was like, well, if God's telling you not to take it, like, you have to not take it. <laughs> and that was within about 45 minutes of each other. And I was like, what in the world am I supposed to do? So I ended up, like, just praying about it a lot. And when I actually drove back, like, that next day, talked to the guy, I was like, I can't take it. And then... Um, within three days, I had three separate people tell me different reasons, of, like things about that church that I had not known, mm. which were all really good reasons for me not to have like started there. And I was like, oh, that thanks God for like kind of like saving my butt mm. from that situation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a cool story, Jake. How you... much time we have? We have twenty three seconds. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Those are good stories. Anyone have a 20-second story? I do. Okay. So when my job was deleted at Kiowa, mm -hmm. I had been saying, Lord, I want to stay at Kiowa. No, no, no. And when all of my resources ran out, nobody was offering me a job, there was still him calling me to Peyton mm. over and over and over again. And I've been incredibly happy since. That's really cool, Sharon. Yeah, it worked. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I hope uh, if you did discussion in person, I hope that went really well. And I just appreciate you guys being willing to share your stories. Uh, it's really encouraging to hear. Um, and this is the model, right? Jesus um, gave up his life for us, and God calls us to life, but through death. Um, so here's what happens almost immediately after this is something that's kind of weird and strange, but called the transfiguration, uh, where Je Jesus gets all glowy. 
Um, so let's <laughs> look at the, the story. Uh, about eight days after this conversation, Jesus took along Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. Again, prayer again. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Um, so pause, we're going to finish this encounter in a minute, but um, it's really interesting because th- there's at least two things going on with this story. I mean, and it's when this originally happened, um, you have to imagine that the disciples were very confused about Jesus saying, like, you know, I'm, I am the king, but I'm going to go to the cross. Like, that doesn't make any sense. And Jesus is about to set his face towards Jerusalem is how it's phrased. Like, he's about to begin journeying towards Jerusalem, knowing that he's going to the cross. And again, I think all the disciples would have been, like, they just couldn't get it. It becomes very clear. Like, this doesn't make sense to him. But where are all the controversies about, right? <clears throat> maybe he's John the Baptist. Maybe he's Elijah. Um, maybe he's a great prophet of old. And now you have Moses, the greatest of the prophets, and Elijah. They're on the mountain with Jesus. And they're speaking to Jesus about his departure, which he's about to accomplish in Jerusalem. This is like divine confirmation of like, no, like, this is legit. <laughs> Jesus really is who he said he is, and he really does have to go to the cross. Um, this is really what's going to happen. Um, and that word departure, they were, they were speaking to Jesus about his departure. The word is actually exodus. They're speaking hmm. about Jesus' exodus, his new um, exodus, the, the way that pe- God's people would be set free. Uh, then I love this. Peter and those uh, with him were in a deep sleep. <laughs> and when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who were standing with him. Uh, and somehow they recognized Moses and Elijah. They know who it is. As the two men were departing from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let's set up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he was saying. While he was saying this, a cloud appeared and overshadowed them. They became afraid as they entered the cloud. And then a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, the chosen one. Listen to him. After the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. They kept silent, and at that time they told no one what they had seen. And again, for the way Luke's telling the story and kind of weaving things together, right? Everyone's been asking, who is this? Who is this? Who is this? Now we know he's the Messiah. He's the king, but he's going to the cross. And then now they're hearing from heaven itself, the father saying, this is my son, right? Uh, The kings were like, you're God's son. He's the chosen one and listen to him, right? Like Jesus tried to tell them what he's going to do and what it means to follow him. And they're confused, but it's like God himself is like, please just listen to him, right? Get it. Um, Which is hilarious because right after this, verse 51, uh, when the days were coming to a close for him to be taken up, he determined to journey to Jerusalem. Oh, sorry, I'm skipping ahead mentally. Um, But basically, Jesus now is setting out for Jerusalem. And I'm going to do some summarizing just to keep us on track. Uh, he's, he was going to go to a village in the area of Samaria, a lot of conflict between Jews and Samaritans. And the Samaritans basically don't welcome him. And uh, John and James, who are later called the Sons of Thunder, are like, hey, should we call fire down from heaven and destroy those Samaritans because <laughs> they won't welcome us? Um, just like, wow, you guys, just, you guys don't get it. Um, 
But it's interesting because Luke notes that they wouldn't welcome Jesus, not simply because he was Jewish or because he was a rabbi. It was specifically because he was journeying towards Jerusalem. And there's kind of this clue that they don't, again, want that kind of Messiah. Um, They're rejecting him because of where he's going and what he's going to do. And so here's how um, the the account ends. Um, There's kind of these little pictures of discipleship um, and the call to discipleship and this call to surrender. It says in verse 57, As they were traveling on the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus told him, foxes have dens, birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. In other words, if you want to follow me, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you a lot of inconvenience. Right? They just tried to stay in Samaria, and they were rejected. They had no place to lay their head there. Like, you're going to suffer if you choose to follow me. Then he said to another person, follow me. Become my disciple is that invitation. Lord, he said, uh, first let me go bear my father. But he told them, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. I mean, this is pretty intense, right? He's like, I have to bury my dad. I have to do a funeral first. And Jesus saying, nope, I have to come first. You go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. And another said, I, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. <laughs> but Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand on the plow and then looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Um, again, all three of these, I think, are little snippets of the call to discipleship to follow Jesus and how it's going to cost you. There's going to be things to surrender. And all these people have trouble paying that cost. It's interesting, with none of them, does it record how they respond, if they did what Jesus called to them to do or not? Because I think the point is for us to consider if we would do this, if we would follow Jesus all the way, even here. So all these texts, all these stories, again, I think are getting at this idea that following a crucified Lord means leading a cruciform life. The call to discipleship is to follow Jesus and become like him. And if he went to the cross, then there are going to be things we have to surrender and die to and let go of. And so uh, we're going to share um, Lord's Supper in a minute. And as we do that, uh, I want us to do two things. Um, Lord's Supper is a chance to commemorate together what Jesus has done for us. And uh, while I'm talking about this, actually, I forgot to open the crackers. Can you open the crackers? <coughs> um, but when we celebrate Lord's Supper, uh, what do we do? We're commemorating Jesus' death and resurrection. Uh, we're remembering what happened to him, that he died, that he did go to the cross. He was crucified for us. Um, but simultaneously, I want you to consider if you're willing to follow him all the way there. He goes to death. And the call of discipleship to follow Jesus is to die ourselves, to take up our cross daily and follow him. And so uh, as we take Lord's Supper together in a minute, we'll pass out supplies. Um, and you can do that where you are. And then uh, we'll read a text and take the bread and then read another text and take the grape juice. Um, but I want you to consider, um, are, are you willing to die to yourself today and every day and to continually open your hands to God, whatever he calls you to do?